So what are some of the biggest cybersecurity challenges and cyber talent related struggles facing the healthcare sector? I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Leo Scanlon, Deputy CISO at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. In addition to his work at HHS, Leo is also taking on the new role of co-chair of the U.S. Government Advisory Council at ISC Squared, a nonprofit association of cybersecurity professionals. Leo will be speaking to me about his new role at ISC Squared, as well as some of the most critical cybersecurity trends he sees facing the healthcare sector. Hi, Leo. Thanks so much for joining us. Just for starters, to clear the air, my first question is one that I think some of our listeners may wonder about. Your deputy CISO at HHS, is this a role that you expect to continue in under the new Trump administration? Is this role at HHS a political appointment sort of position, or is it a career position? and I'm a career civil servant, so I am not going to be changing position as the administration moves in. However, the agency is modifying the role of the deputy CISO in order to accommodate our need for a senior advisor to coordinate 360-degree presence of HHS in the healthcare sector for cybersecurity, something that until now the agency has not been able to do. Is that new role part of, for instance, the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act that was enacted in 2015? Yes, exactly. The the CISA Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act has created a um, task force that is working through a set of recommendations that are expected to be released in the next several weeks. And among those recommendations, a number of asks for the agency to begin to provide this sort of coordinated presence. The agency currently has a working group that coordinates the cybersecurity efforts of all of its different components. I am the chair of that working group, and the activities of that working group will evolve to respond to the task force recommendations that come out of the CISA. Now, I know you just said that some of these findings will be discussed in the weeks to come. Anything in terms of sort of big trends that you have seen as part of that work group in terms of where information sharing in the healthcare sector can be most improved? Yes, they're already uh, under the HHS has issued a grant that was uh, won by the NHISAC, the Information Sharing and Analysis Center, to produce a portal that would begin providing information sharing and threat sharing to the sector as a whole. This is a new technology or a relatively new technology and approach to leveraging cybersecurity capabilities in a way that allows much more effective real-time response to threats and specific indicators of compromise. We are working closely with NHISAC as we establish inside HHS our own threat sharing center, similar to the one that has been set up at the national level by DHS. And that center is going to be able to leverage information we already have through a health threat operations center that is based in Atlanta, which coordinates across the DOD healthcare organizations, the VA and DHA in particular. We are very actively engaged in expanding and improving threat sharing and information sharing inside our organization and across with our sector partners at this point. The CISA recommendations are pointing to that as a primary role. 
Also, they're pointing to the standard things that are hitting us across the board and that have been identified by the Office of the Federal CIO and Federal CISO at OMB. These are workforce development, awareness and training, and the other core elements of effective cybersecurity programs that need to be instantiated in the private sector and, of course, uh, expanded within the federal government as well. Now, as we had just mentioned, some of these things were called for by the Cyber Information Sharing Act that was enacted in 2015. So, for the most part, these efforts that are, have been underway that you're working on now and that you know, you're striving for, it, it wouldn't change under a Trump administration you know, versus what was going on here at the end of the Obama administration. It's something that's, that's legislatively called for, is that correct? Correct. It's, it's in the congressional statute. It's not executive orders. So although it, it is consistent with the executive orders over the past number of years, it is based in statute. So now, Leo, as I had said at the beginning, you have recently agreed to take on the role of co-chair of the U.S. Government Advisory Council at ISC Squared. What do you hope to contribute to that effort? And what would you like to see happen in terms of government and healthcare sector improvements that perhaps this council might be able to facilitate? Well, I think the most important thing about Government Advisory Council is that this work is complementary to what we are trying to accomplish at HHS through the, these initiatives related to CISA, and that is to build public-private partnerships in order to leverage and enhance what each part of this sector knows about the threats and risks that we're facing. ISC Squared is a public-private partnership organization that was one of the first that was established in early recognition of the fact that cybersecurity is not something that can be done in one company or one government agency or by the government alone. It is really a full-blown, across-the-board collaboration necessary to deal with this. So this is in the DNA of ISC squared. The Government Advisory Council provides a framework in which we can address and enhance training and awareness. We do this through award programs that we give out, the, in particular the Government Information Security Leadership Awards, or GISLAs, which are a very, very competitive award and have been a, a great way to highlight the work that's being done and is done every day across the government and bring this to the fore. It supports all sorts of training and awareness efforts. And most importantly, the Government Advisory Council provides a, a forum for discussion of workforce development issues, which is really at the heart of the structural problems that we're dealing with in the government, not just in the government, the private sector as well, is hurting very badly for talented cybersecurity people and with capabilities. So the Government Advisory Council is a forum and a vehicle for communicating the scope of that need in the government, challenges that we're having in the government, and, and ISC Squared, of course, has its broad-based support and face to the world. So it's a vehicle to communicate what the government needs, people who share a similar need, so that we have developed common solutions. And that's what the Government Advisory Council provides, very complementary to what the CISA Act and the task force are asking HHS to do as a central player in the healthcare sector specifically. So now, Leo, when it comes to workforce development in the healthcare sector and the public health care sector, as well as the government sector, there are shortages, as we know, in cyber skills, experience, and talent. What skills do you think are most in need of being filled right now in order to help these sectors keep up with the evolving cyber threats that we're seeing? 
if you look at the market, you can sort of see where the big demand is, and that is for skilled analysts who are able to understand malware, reverse engineer malware, track down threats or hunt for threats that might exist in a given environment or be actualized inside a given environment, that skill set is in high demand. And you can tell just by looking at the, the salaries that are commanded by people who have those skills. But there's another set of skills that are needed as well. And this, is, interestingly, has started to come up in surveys that are done when people are asked, what else do you need? Because the first part I described is pretty straight up uh, obvious. But what else is needed is people who can write, people who can communicate, people who can provide information to non-technical consumers who have a need to understand cybersecurity. And I'll give you an example. In the healthcare sector, there are large organizations like research organizations, pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies, who have robust cybersecurity capabilities, who share information among themselves and have been doing so for a very long time. They have the money to do it. They have the skill sets to do it. However, the healthcare sector is really composed of a, that's the tip of the iceberg. Under the tip of the iceberg, there's a huge number of small, underfunded organizations, including hospital systems and hospital organizations, medical clinics, who do not have the sophisticated capabilities, either in terms of equipment or skill sets, to consume the types of intelligence that's being produced by our cybersecurity tools. They need guidance. They need communication ability. They need to be able to call for help when they need it. That's the other part of this story that we're going to need a workforce capable of staffing into those functions of top to bottom across the sector. So you brought up a, a topic that comes up a lot that there's a lot of competition across all industries for a lot of this sort of expertise, but the healthcare sector and even the government sector has sort of some of the, you know, I guess, restrictions in terms of what they can afford to pay for some of these highly sought after skills that private sector might have more money to throw at. What's your advice to the healthcare sector and government sectors in terms of being able to attract this talent and still compete with all these other industries that are also looking for that same sort of talent? Well, you know, it's very interesting. I think that, in fact, as we go forward, what we're going to find is that the word compete is going to have to disappear from our vocabulary. What we really need to be able to do is to share capabilities. And that's what the threat sharing and information sharing initiative coming out of CISA and which DHS has pioneered at the national level. That's what that's all about. We simply cannot afford to compete shop by shop, entity by entity for a what will always be a relatively limited pool of talent. What we really need to be able to do is find ways to leverage what that talent produces and make it available to fight what is a common battle. So this recognition is widespread in the technical community and increasingly across the private sector. The legal basis to do that has been being developed over the past couple of years and knocked down a lot of the barriers that have previously prevented that from happening. So that's where I think we're going to be going. We're going to be moving away from competing for those resources to sharing the intelligence that those resources produce. So now, Leo, I also understand that you've been co-chair of a interagency ID credentialing and access management committee. Based on your work there and the sort of cyber trends that we've been seeing in the healthcare and government sectors, what would you like to see happen in those sectors 
in terms of making improvements to their overall ID credentialing and access management practices? Anything that you think that they're missing that they shouldn't be doing or they should be doing that needs to happen? We're in an interesting point uh, for dealing with that. Of course, identity management is the core of long-term IT security. That's really what it's all about. In the healthcare sector, what we're doing, we're protecting identities. The information, the, the public health information and the PII that's in the repositories that HHS is custodian of and that exist in hospital systems and, and, and other entities in the sector is the identity of millions upon millions of people. And it's got tremendous value to criminals and others who seek to gain access to it. Stopping access to that, the first step is getting away from passwords, moving into more secure credential-based multi-factor authentication, and at a, at a future level, moving away from token-based to actual, true, behavior-based identity information that allows us to have secure access to capabilities that are uniquely tied to us individually. This is where the Defense Department would like to go. This is where some of the most advanced industry organizations are exploring and researching, and this is where we're going to go. But right now, we are still in a major struggle to just kill the password and get to multi-factor authentication mechanisms that slow down the ability of attackers to penetrate our networks. So that's step number one. And then step number two in the future is to really build strong binding of our identity information to our actual selves and make that available as the primary authentication means to systems, our individual data, and the data, our data that is held by organizations that we interact with. And Leo, why do you think there has been resistance to the implementation of multi-factor authentication in sectors like the healthcare sector? What's the biggest barrier to adopting these stronger forms of authentication? I think the biggest barrier is cost. It's always difficult to modify your systems, to introduce new capability, and make available to users the tokens or credentials that they need to do that. So I think that cost is coming down. I think that the infrastructure necessary to do that is more and more commoditized. And the administration, for example, in in addition to the cyber sprint that was done a year ago to get the federal government to do this, has been driving very hard and pushing major social media organizations and other industry organizations to begin to adopt multi-factor authentication. And you're starting to see that. Almost every major social media organization uh, entity will give you a two-factor mechanism to authenticate. And if you're not using it, you should. Many other websites that are used for commercial purposes are increasingly offering two-factor capabilities to the public. So I think there's also an awareness barrier. People need to understand what these capabilities are, why you should use them, and then just get used to doing it. And I think as we do that and if we if we incentivize the elimination of the password, I think we can get there fairly quickly and it will be a major step forward uh, across the board. Now, Leo, as you know, over the last two years, we've seen a very dramatic uptick in cyber attacks on the healthcare sector. We've seen over the last year a, a big surge in ransomware attacks. Any predictions on what the cyber threat landscape is going to look like in 2017? Anything that you think that the healthcare sector should be prepared to deal with? I think we're going to continue to see what we've seen and we're going to see more of it. The major vector that is being exploited by these attacks is the ability to induce the user to cough up access to systems, 
The bad guys have figured out that that is the fastest and cheapest way to get in. Phishing education, two-factor authentication, and anything we can do to increase awareness of system users as to why it is important for them to guard access to these systems. The other challenge that's already manifested itself is the Internet of Things. And this is going to be pervasive in the healthcare sector because healthcare technology has for a long time been an Internet of Things, increasingly devices talking to each other right down to medical devices. And there's going to be a tremendous effort to research the vulnerabilities, understand the vulnerabilities, and begin to address that problem as well. So I think that would be the summary. We're going to see more of what we've seen. The challenge is going to be to respond to the phishing attacks with better awareness and then to really begin to tackle the world of the Internet of Things and all the challenges that that presents. Thanks, Leo. I've been speaking to Leo Scanlon, Deputy CISO at HHS. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.